Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. So good, so good. Were any of y'all here for Chuck Perry last year? Or it was, actually, it was this year, it was the first of this year. It was incredible. So if you've never heard of him, you can Google him, look him up. He's just fun, and he's amazing, and lots of awesome things happen when he's around. So I can't plug that one enough. Um, it's going to be rad. And, and Celebrations Church is in San Juan. Everybody say San Juan. Some people were asking on social media. Um, so you, if you just put Celebrations Church in your maps, you'll find it. Um, I love maps. I'm like really directionally challenged. And so when people ask me for directions, I'm like, we have maps. Use your maps. You don't want directions from me. I will get you lost. Um, as, as Pastor Jesse said, my name is Nicole. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, this morning, I, I really feel like I wanted to bring something that I believe God um, is not only instilling in the body of Christ, but um, is highlighting this for our house. And this morning, I kind of feel like this is more of like a, a rally. This is, this is a more of a teaching. This is more of my heart on what I feel like he's been saying over the past um, couple months. I've been wanting to preach on this for so long. Uh, he kept saying no. So if you're here this morning, uh, this word is for you. Um, <clears throat> I am a themed person. So I like to see themes. I like to know themes that are happening. I like to um, monitor themes in my life. I like to, you know, see what's happening, what, what continues to reoccur. I'm just a themed person. I like to look back and go, okay, how did I, you know, get from A to Z on this? And, and how has this continued to reoccur? And so I pick up on themes um, in the body of Christ pretty often. I don't share that a lot because it could sound kind of weird. So forgive me if that sounds odd. But something that I've been hearing, something that I've been seeing a lot is this, this crazy thing in the body of powerful, incredible, amazing Christians, this thing that keeps coming up um, that has to do with purpose and has to do with identity, has to do with calling, all those big words that we throw around often. And, and I keep hearing two phrases. The first phrase is, I just don't know what I'm called to. And the second phrase is often after somebody goes after what they feel like God's called them to, and it's not as easy as they thought it was gonna be, or it doesn't look like they thought it was gonna look. And so the second phrase I keep hearing is it must not be God. It must not be God because it's not looking like I thought it was gonna look. I had this crazy dream or this crazy vision or God told me I was supposed to go after this thing, but it's just not looking like I thought it was going to look. And in this picture and dream that I had from God, it doesn't look like that. So it must not be God. And so this morning, I really feel uh, that I'm supposed to go after these two lies. That I'm supposed to go after this thing that says there's no purpose on your life or that because you're coming up against opposition or it doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look, that it's not God. Because that's also not true. I had a, um, a, a fellow, I've actually, I've never met him. I think he lives in like Minnesota or something, but he messaged me on Instagram 
And he said, um, hello there, Pastor Nicole. I was just curious. Um, and you, you always should be worried when you get those. Um, I was just curious. I'm interested in ministry, but I'm wondering, what is the hardest part about being a pastor? And I read it and I thought, I really love my team. I love the Skinners. I love our church. It's not a lot of things I would say is hard or the worst part. And then I got to thinking about it and I responded back and I told him, I said, you know, the hardest part for me often is sitting across from someone who knows the Lord, sitting across from someone who's a Christian and hearing them speak lies over their life. That's the hardest part for me. Because a lot of times we can sit across the table for, from someone, we can stand in front of a mirror and we can hear these lies. And you can either choose to believe it or you can choose to shut it down and renew your mind like scripture says. And so I got to thinking about this hardest part of being a pastor, being in ministry. And I'm one of those people, I'm like ninja warrior in the spirit. They start off with a lie and I'm like, not true. I don't even wait for them to finish their sentence. And you're like, I just, I don't think God's called me to do anything significant. Not true. You know, this just, this is really hard. It must not be God. Not true. Like, I don't even wait. For those of you that are really sweet and sensitive in the spirit, you can wait for them to like put a period on their sentence and then say, oh, I don't know that that's true. Or however you would say it. That's just not my style. So <laughs> I'm just kind of just shoot it straight. But seriously, like, like when we sit across from someone who says that they've accepted Christ into their life, that they've been renewed, that they are new, and we listen to them, we're actually accepting what they're saying. And so I encourage y'all to be people that say, no, that's not true. Or a good question is, huh, who said that? Who said that to you? I get to say that to myself all the time. Oh, interesting, Nicole. Who said that to you? Who said that to you? And declarations are really good for that. But you know, it, it's just this thing where I, I want to pick people up and I want to shake them. And I want to say, no, shake that out of your belief system. God did not die for you to believe you don't have purpose. God did not say you are a co-heir. I'm giving you all authority and power through me for you to believe that you're not going to be used by him to change the world, to change your communities. Like it is a bummer if we believe that. And I don't care if you're 18 or if you're 88, if you're still breathing, God has a reason for your life. If you're in here this morning, there is a crazy mandate and purpose on your life. And I believe it is the enemy's goal to get you to think that that's not true. Because the truth is if we don't believe that we have purpose, we won't do anything purposeful. If we walk around believing, oh, we owe me, I'm just here to breathe and die and maybe be a light to somebody, we won't do anything with our lives. Anyways, that was free. I didn't, I didn't really plan on going down there, but that's for y'all. You know, John 10, 10 says that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But, you gotta love a good old but in scripture. But, seriously, those are the best. God has come that you would have life and life abundantly. 
People say, well, John 10, 10 is not a good verse to memorize because it's negative and devil, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, no, but God has, has come so that you would have life and life abundantly. We should be living abundantly, abounding in joy through him and him alone. So this morning, I, I, I wanted to read and I wanted to look at Nehemiah. Has anyone ever read Nehemiah? It's incredible. You know, I've heard a ton of sermons on Nehemiah in regards to restoring things in your life. I've heard tons of sermons around Nehemiah on protecting your heart and building the right kind of walls and all these amazing things. But I just really felt like as I was seeking the Lord on what to share this morning, that he wanted to highlight a couple things about Nehemiah, a couple things about his life and what it looks like to go from servant to restorer, to go from cupbearer to leader. And so I want us to read, it's, it's pretty lengthy, so bear with me. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 4. I'll give you a little bit of context here since we're starting in the fourth chapter. What page is that on? We didn't learn that in Bible college, Pastor Jesse. I don't know. <laughs> so Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a, a cupbearer. Everybody say cupbearer. He was a cupbearer. And it's crazy because cupbearers would be like the glorified guinea pig for those that they were the cupbearer for. So in this case, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. And when you were a cupbearer, it says that you would taste every beverage, whether it be wine or water or I don't know if they had soda, whatever beverage that they were having before the king. So anytime at a dinner, at a meal, at a meeting, something was served, that cupbearer would first drink it. And if they didn't die, if they didn't turn red, if they didn't fall out, then the king could be served that liquid. So Nehemiah was literally laying his life down daily, multiple times a day, because you knew in this position, your probability of dying was pretty high. Can you imagine like applying for that job? Your probability of dying is pretty high. You're gonna lay your life down for someone other than yourself. You're gonna taste and make sure that he doesn't, you're gonna be his glorified waiter bodyguard person. And so Nehemiah is serving the king as his cupbearer. When he hears about the wall in Jerusalem, and you can read this chapters one, two, and three. He hears about the broken walls in Jerusalem. And for a city, if the walls were broken, it represented that you could be defeated. It represented um, actually a lot of shame for the people that lived in that city. But it also represented this, this protection as a wall that was fully built. It was this protection for the people against the wind, against animals, and against opponents. And so Nehemiah 1, 2, and 3, we read that he hears about this wall that's broken in Jerusalem and his heart is moved. This passion arises in him and he is deeply, deeply moved. And so let's start off here in, in chapter four. When Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly upset. 
He ridiculed the jewels and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down that wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we will rebuild the wall till it's reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Verse seven, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard the repairs of Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come against them and fight and stir up trouble. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people said, the strength of the laborers is giving now and there is so much rubble, we cannot build the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Ay, ay, ay. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever they turn, we will attack. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He will fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people. Those who carried the materials, almost done, follow me. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and in the other hand held a weapon. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work and half the men held spears and the first light of dawn came and the stars came out. And at that time, I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. I get that was a lot of scripture. I need some water after that one. I believe that today God wants to shed light on what it looks like to go after the dreams in your life. I believe he wants to shed light on what it looks like to stay the course and go after the destiny that has been predestined for you. Nehemiah is this incredible leader. He, I mean, gosh, you even see in that scripture, like he, he overcame a lot of opposition and it didn't, it didn't hit him. It didn't sway him. It didn't change his mind. And that's the kind of leader I want to be like. 
You're leading all these people, all these families. They're complaining. Your enemies are complaining. They're saying they're coming after us. Your enemies are saying we're coming after you. And he's saying, listen, God's gonna protect us. Go back, be armed, put the armor of God on and stand guard, but keep working. I have three fun little areas I wanna highlight today. The first one is we have to embrace what it looks like to be a cupbearer. We have to embrace what it looks like to lay our lives down for something greater than us. For something greater than what we feel like we've been called to do. I hear people a lot, and I know that this is, in the natural, this makes sense, but people will go after things that make sense for their destiny. The problem is, if we start in a place that doesn't make sense for our destiny, hear me out. If we start in a place where we're serving someone else, where we're around someone, someone else, where we're learning from someone else, that will propel us to what God has set before us. See, this cupbearer was a guy that was willing to die at any time for a grander purpose, for a bigger purpose. And I want you guys to get this real quick. Chapter three really encompasses this. But Nehemiah was serving the very one that would give him resources to go and build the wall. Now, when he took this job, did he know, I'm gonna receive this from the king, that's why I'm going to do it. Or this makes sense for my destiny because he's gonna lead me with all of his resources to go do what my heart's passionate about. No, he didn't know. But the very person that he served, the very person that he laid his life down, gave him all the resources and the blessing to go after what his heart was aching for. I feel like that's super important for us as believers. The king was a launching pad for Nehemiah's destiny. Now, I got kind of nerdy and I was like, launching pad, we use that word a lot. What does it mean exactly? And I found these few things. A launching pad, a launch pad for like a space shuttle offers structure, offers structure. It's a place where the spaceship can be inspected and maintained. And it provides power, communication, and offers stability until it's launching time until it's launching time. So the king was Nehemiah's launching pad, but Nehemiah didn't know it. He wasn't serving just to get it. He wasn't in it just because he knew he was gonna receive something out of it. He was laying his life down for something that was bigger than him, not knowing the outcome. But I bet at night, Nehemiah was talking to God. And I bet he was sharing his heart. And I bet God was starting to awake the things in Nehemiah. And so when it came time, when, when he heard about the wall in Jerusalem that needed restoration, because he had been serving the king, he was able to go to the king and the king was able to send him with resources. I believe God is always setting us up for more. I believe it. I believe God is always setting us up for more. I believe he wants more for us. And I get in the Christian circle, people get offended by that. But honestly, I want more for my son and my daughter. 
I look at them and I go, I want more for you. I want more faith for you. I look at them and I go, I want you to be wealthier than I, more influential than me. I want you to change the world better than me. I want you to go further and faster than me. And I'm just a parent in the natural. Your parent (laughs) is one who wants more for you. And so I believe this was just one instance where God was setting Nehemiah up. But his pure of heart to serve the king, I think, propelled him towards his destiny. You know, I've always, I've heard this phrase, well, once I have more money, I'll give more money. But the truth is, you actually won't give more money when you have more money. You'll give according to what you're currently giving. Because with more comes more options, right? So, so you can say, well, I, I'm, I'm called to be a giver, but not now. I need to wait until God blesses me with all of this and then I'll give. But I wonder if God's going, oh, could you just be responsible for $10? Could you be responsible for the little in your life so that I can grow you into more? Does that make sense? Y'all with me? You awake? Because the truth is, when we get more, we will have needed to already practice what it looks like to give away when we didn't have the more. The truth is, I don't think God will give you what you can't handle. And if he won't give you what you can't handle, handle the small things really well. Handle the small things really well. I was in a meeting with with our senior pastor this past week, and we were kind of going late, and it's fun to just get, you know, chit-chatting and hang out and just do life together. And I said, I got to go because I'm containing stuff, but I'm asking God for more. And if I don't honor my schedule, (laughs) I don't know if he's going to give me more, and I want more. So sometimes it's not just our finances. Sometimes it looks like stewardship of your time, stewardship of your relationships, stewardship of the little things in your life. We've got to learn to become cut bears. What does it look like practically? I'm a practical person. You're like, okay, Nicole, cool. That's what it looks like for Nehemiah. What does it look like for me? Honestly, I'd like to point you to people. Tim Hargrove, right there, who shows up almost every Sunday morning and serves. And half of you probably don't know his name. Your senior pastor, Jesse, who shows up three hours before service to help unload Find me a senior pastor who does that. Not saying that none of them do, but yeah. But if you're asking practically, what does it look like? I want to point to people. I want to point to them and say, watch their life. You know, everybody talks about they want to be discipled. They want to be mentored. Well, the truth is the disciples, Jesus' disciples literally just followed him. Do you, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak, but, but I would assume, because scripture doesn't mention anything about it, Jesus wasn't like sitting down and going, okay, we're gonna spend one hour together every week, I'm gonna ask you the sins that you've committed, we're gonna pray about them, we're gonna ask for forgiveness, and then I'm gonna give you a three-step program to get better, and that's discipleship. No, discipleship is literally watching someone. Some of the biggest disciples in my life, I've never met. I just watched their lives. I see how they do family. I see how they do ministry. I see how they do life. Now, I do think it's important to be able to communicate with those that you consider your disciples. That'd be weird if you're like, I'm being discipled by this person. I've never talked to them. 
But it's okay to have some as, as you're watching their lives. Does that make sense? Discipleship is just looking at people. Ryan on the stage playing keys. It's just, he just disciples me. I just watch him and I'm just like, my heart is moved to such a tender place to become a cupbearer, to lay your life down for something grander, for something bigger. The second, and we talk about this a lot here, but is seeking his presence, seeking his guidance. Scripture says that for days, in chapter three, for days, Nehemiah prayed to God. Actually, scholars say that the word days, because of the months in that time, was four months. So Nehemiah hears, his heart is radically moved. And for four months, which really isn't that long of a time, but it's much longer than some of us urgent people who make a decision in a couple minutes. He goes to God, I'm one of those people. He goes to God and he prays for four months. I don't know what he said to God. I can just assume, God, why is my heart moving? Why is it stirring? I'm serving the king. What are you gonna do about this, God? What am I supposed to do about this? He went to God first and he asked for boldness in front of the king. Theologians say that if you went before the king and your face was sad or you looked upset because you were the cupbearer, it, it could have meant that what you drank was poisonous or it could have meant that you were in on a plot to kill the king. So even going to the king nervous or going to the king like, oh my gosh, okay, I, I wanna ask him if I can go to Jerusalem and help rebuild the wall. Even that part could have gotten him killed. But something happened as he sought God for those four months, as his heart was aching to go and help rebuild the wall, that he didn't care. He went before the king and he asked, can I go? And the king sets him up and gives him resources. See, a lot of us, we like to jump and then seek. We'll go, oh, that's a great idea. And then we'll jump, we'll go after it, we'll start our nonprofit, we'll jump into ministry, we'll jump into marriages, we'll jump in relationships, we'll jump into this, we'll jump into that. And then we say, God, will you bless it? It looked like a good idea. God, will you bless it now? And I'm confident that he's able. But I wonder what it would look like if before we made decisions, we just asked Papa, we just asked him, even the little things in our life, for sure the, the bigger covenant type items, but even the little things like Nehemiah did. Can you imagine for four months having something, if you're an urgent person in the room like me, something in your heart just boiling and, and your, your passion is spilling out and every day you're drinking that cup hoping you're not gonna die because you really feel like you're called to go do this thing, but you haven't asked yet because you're seeking God. Like four months probably seemed like an eternity for him. But he sought God and he stayed true to what he was currently doing and what he was currently serving. My son, I, I posted a, a photo on Instagram, Nicole and Rowan, you guys can go check it out. I posted a photo, actually, do we have it? Is there anybody up there you can throw the photo up? Okay, you can kind of tell. So this is my handsome son, Roar. So he's hanging on the side of the couch. Okay, 
So all morning we had story time and worship time and we're running around the living room and he's like the craziest in the morning. So I'm like, I get my coffee and I just like let him run around and we just play. It's like a jungle. But so we had been climbing up around the couch and he's just learned how to climb up on the couch. So it's a lot of fun. So I don't mind it. I'm like climb on the couch, but he's learned how to climb on the couch from the front. And so we'd been climbing up on the couch. He was playing his little ukulele and we're watching worship music on the TV and we're having a grand old time. And I go into the kitchen to get a refill of my coffee. <laughs> and I come back out and I hear him. Uh, uh, uh. I'm like, oh gosh, what happened? I walk in and he's literally like this. And you can kind of tell in the photo, but his feet, they're like his little toes are etched into the side of the couch. Like he's holding on for dear life. You know, he's only a few inches from the ground, but he's like holding on for dear life. And I was totally that mom. And I stopped and took a photo before I helped him. (laughs) I'm like, you're so cute right now. I've got to get this. But the Lord spoke to me in that because Roar was used to getting up and down on the couch with me. And if he got stuck, I'd, I'd pull him over. I'd pull him over that hump. We went over the side a few times, but But when I left and I came in and he was like this, he was literally stuck in the middle. See, he was used to doing things with me and he got over the hump. He got up on the couch well when I was there. But when I walked out of the room, he decided to try it for himself. And then he got halfway and the poor guy is holding on for dear life, looking at me with fear in his eyes. Like, why aren't you helping me? And the Lord said to me, You know, a lot of times, this is how my kids act. They're so used of me coming through for them. And they call me and they want me to help them. And they want me to get them up, you know, out of the mountain, out of the valley, up on top of the mountain, up on the couch. And and when we decide to do it for ourselves and then we get to the middle and we realize, oh, this is kind of hard. I need help. Then we call on him. And I thought, Wow. That's interesting because my son didn't know any better. He was so used to getting up on the couch with me. We'd been doing all morning. It was a lot of fun. But when he got halfway up and realized, oh yeah, I can't do this by myself. I need my mom. It dawned on me that a lot of times we do that. We try to go ahead of God. Instead of first saying, you know, he'll say up, up now. That's like his new thing, up, up. I know he wants up on the couch instead of going to God and saying, God, what do you have? Why is my heart so excited about this thing? Or Lord, I feel like I'm supposed to be a teacher or I'm supposed to be in ministry or I'm supposed to be a stay-at-home parent. God, can you help me? Can you lead me how to do that? A lot of times we jump before we seek and then we ask for help. And I want us to be a people that ask, that seeks, that's sent by him so that when we get to the middle, so that when it gets hard, we don't look over like, where are you? Why aren't you helping me over? Why aren't you doing this with me? The third area, the third thing I feel like God wants to highlight is just sticking in it, staying in it. When things get tough, just staying in it. Nehemiah goes to restore the wall in opposition after opposition, after opposition. I mean, I, I, I'm like, really, I'm reading that, that chapter. I'm like, gosh, how many times? It's like eight or nine times. Opposition, opposition. Now, Nehemiah could have said, oh, interesting, God. I thought that you sent me here. In fact, the king gave me resources and blessing to go, but this is hard. 
this doesn't look like what I thought it was gonna look like. Why was my heart on fire to do this thing, but now I'm in it and there's so much opposition. And we see from his life, we see from scripture here that he wasn't moved by his circumstances. Why? Because God had sent him. Because he spent those four months asking him, seeking him, asking for guidance and wisdom. And when you know God has sent you somewhere, you won't be moved. When God has told you something, when you know the king of the universe is behind you, is with you, goes before you, sends you, prepares you, you won't be moved by the circumstances around you or what it looks like is happening. When people start to ridicule you, when you start to, to hear discouraging words, you won't go, oh God, I guess this isn't you. You'll be committed. Because the truth is, he was committed to you before you were ever committed to him. He signed, sealed, and delivered commitment before you ever even accepted him into your life. God is a committed God. And I think the body of Christ should be people who are committed people who are not flaky people, who stick in it, who stay in the hard times, who knows that God has put a calling and a destiny on their life. And even by just serving someone else, even by just watching someone else, that he is still propelling you into your destiny, even if it doesn't look like it at the time. Or when you're in that and you're like, oh, I'm in the swing of things, but this isn't going like I thought it would go. This isn't looking as pretty and nice. You'll know because God's called you there, because he's sent you there, you won't be moved. Does that make sense? The Lord was just speaking to me during worship about renewing our minds. This past weekend, I wrote some declarations and I put it in all the bathrooms of our upstairs house. My sister's like, um, there's like some weird sayings in the bathroom. I'm like, those are declarations. You say those every day, girl, in that mirror. <laughs> she's like, okay. Like, I, I think I need to explain it a little bit more because she's confused still. But, but the Lord was speaking to me about just renewing our mindset. And I'm aware, you guys, I'm so aware. I'm only 30, I get that I'm young, but I'm so aware of the lies and the scheme of the enemy. I'm so aware of it that it doesn't have value in my life. I'm so aware of it that I refuse to believe over and over. And so I put these declarations in my bathroom because no matter what I hear, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what my circumstances look like, I want to be reminded, I want to see words before me every day that say, that confirm words that God has spoken over my life. If you're in here and you're like, I, I just, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm called to. Read the word of God and I bet you'll get started. Stop believing lies that there's no purpose. Stop believing that everything is supposed to look the way that you thought it would look. God's much bigger than we are. He's planned things way before you were ever born. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I would just begin to declare and believe things over her life. I would start to prepare. When she turns five, we're getting a Disneyland pass. I'd start to prepare things that make no sense to her, 
that she doesn't even understand. If I gave her a Disneyland pass right now, she'd be like, who cares? She'd probably rip it up because she likes ripping things up. But, but I, I prepare for my son things that he won't know for years to come. I'm instilling things now as we turn on worship music and he gets his little ukulele that's way out of tune and he sings to it and they raise their little hands. I'm preparing now for his destiny. I'm preparing now for what Rosella is going to do, even though it doesn't make sense. And all they can do now is just fully rely on mom and dad. They don't know what five years is gonna look like or 10 years is gonna look like. But I get to prepare now for them. In the same, God has done this for you. It's already been prepared. There is a destiny ahead of you. There is a purpose on your life. There is a calling for you. And if you're over the age of 50 in here, I wanna encourage you, it's for you too. I heard someone, I sat down and met with someone, they were 49, they said, well, I've already missed it. What? No, you have not. It's just beginning. My mentor says, when I turned 50, she goes, I finally realized what I'm called to and I'm going after it and this is the best year of my life. That's how I wanna be every single year. (laughs) All the older people are like, yeah, come on. But seriously, God has prepared for you something incredible. You can't even think up what he has prepared for you. This turned into something else that I I didn't really plan on sharing on, but thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even think it up. Even if you dreamed upon dream upon dream and wrote out the story of your life, it's better. His is better than what you could even think or dream up. But what does it look like? I think it looks like laying our life down for something bigger than us. If you're looking for purpose in your life, if you're like, I know God's called me to something, which all of you should know that. God has called me to something incredible. In fact, I haven't even seen it yet. But right now, God, at age 72, I'm gonna lay my life down for someone else because I know that there's something ahead of me, Father. Be a cupbearer. Be a cupbearer. Start there. Be a cupbearer. I love planning things out. I'm a task-oriented person. Natalie and I are very similar in that way. I will put things on my checklist that I already did just so I can check it off. Like take the trash out. I'm like, I did that four hours ago. I'm writing it down. Take the trash out, check. Right, anybody else? Anybody else? I know there's some of you. Like I like planning things out. But the truth is, the truth is if we just go day by day serving something bigger than us, seeking his presence and sticking in it, I promise you that your life will be radically transformed. The times that God has told me to stay have been some of the most challenging times in my life. A lot of that was in ministry. The Lord told me to stay in a ministry where I was not accepted as a woman. And I will tell you that the greatest discipleship for my life came out of just staying. And I believe that he honored that. I believe that the Lord honored that in the exact stage that I was told I could never get on, I've preached on several times. And that's not because of me. Don't hear me say that. It's actually, it was pretty horrible. This was years ago. I don't think I did a very good job. But the Lord honored the fact that I stayed in it 
to serve him, to serve something greater than myself. I stayed in it when I said, God, this doesn't make any sense for my destiny because you've called me to do this. This actually makes no sense. But I sought the father and he said, stay, be a cupbearer, seek my presence and stick in it, even when it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. So I wanna pray over us. I just wanna declare a few things over you guys. Yeah, Father, just thank you, Lord, for each person in this room, God. God, right now, I declare that everyone in this room would start to receive revelation from you, God, on their destiny. Father, that you would start to give them dreams and visions. Lord, that you would start to awaken hearts in this house, God, that these people would be the most influential people in Southern California. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would prepare the people that are here, God, for what is next week and what is next month and what is next year, Father. God, I pray against the lie that they're too old or they're too young or they don't have the right degree. Father, right now I ask in Jesus' name for all lies to be broken off. Yeah, I feel like there's someone in here. Uh, I think you're 62, 63. It's like the Lord is saying there's gonna be a new business or a new ministry or a new startup, some type of nonprofit that's gonna come out of you. And you dreamt about it in your 20s, but he's delivering it in your 60s. I feel like there's another person. You're a male, you're in college. Um, I feel like you've been in college for three years Yeah, I see finances over you that you've been called into the finance world, but you have a huge heart for ministry. There's a Paul anointing on you. You're called into ministry, but in the business world. And it's like the Lord is saying, just stay in it. Stay in that class that you're thinking about getting out. Stay in that university. Stay in it because he's preparing a greater work in you. Yeah. Yeah, Father, just thank you for dreams today, God. I thank you that you're gonna start to to erase the lies, Father, and show each person in this room what is before them, God. God, I thank you that every person in this house is called, that every person in this house has a purpose. God, I thank you that you're not done with anyone in this room. God, we just give you all the glory, Father, all the glory. God, thank you for meeting us. God, thank you for speaking to us. God, thank you that every person here hears from you. Every person here hears from you. Yeah. Yeah, Papa, we just love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.